everybody. This is Eric Elliott back with another episode of the Refocus Nutrition Podcast. I'm coming back to you guys after a couple of week hiatus. Um, I can honestly say that the month of July has been one of the most challenging months in my life in terms of workload um, and just trying to find balance. Uh, not to sound like a laundry list of complaining, but you know, right now I'm working two full-time jobs with CrossFit Mariah Closing and CrossFit Curry Barracks, which will be my new home, as well as navigating with my girlfriend, trying and actually moving into our new home back into Calgary, and then also getting ready for Can West. Um, And there's obviously other life things that happen inside of a month as well. So July has taken a big toll on myself, um, as well as all of my relationships and everything that way. So I think that it's it's good to that this month is finally coming to a close. We're competing again at this at Can West this weekend. Um, so that is something I'm really looking forward to. But I'm looking forward to just getting some normalcy back in my life so I can record more interviews and talk about more uh, things with nutrition and fitness that we can bring to bring to you guys uh this past weekend i just was with um the guys at renaissance periodization and we talked a lot about hypertrophy and nutrition so i'm looking to hope hopefully have those guys back on uh in the future as well and I, yeah i just think there's a lot more value i can continue to be to be spreading on to you guys um so with that being said guys this week we have a very special guest uh we have on Dr. Sean Pastouche. Uh, Sean is the owner and founder of Active Life RX. You may have heard about them uh, in the CrossFit space. They work on trying to make sure athletes can stay inside the gym if they are injured or have a limitation within their mobility or their range of movement, um, but still see progress and improve rather than just going home and sitting down on the couch. Um, Sean is someone that has worked with a ton of professional CrossFit athletes, has a lot of insight into the physical therapy and um, just active therapy realm within fitness, but also has a lot to talk about in terms of um, personal development, fitness development, um, and business development that I think that a lot of people can get something out of this podcast. So if you enjoy it, guys, please let me know um, by sharing it on your Instagram and sharing it with a friend and tagging them on Instagram uh, to show that you like this episode and give me a rating and review but without further ado guys i'll let you guys hear it from sean pastouche take care if there's ever something that's left over that you want to talk about again i'm always happy to come back perfect all right i'll hit uh, record and we'll get started here who's your audience just so i know uh mostly crossfitters it is in general but mostly crossfitters all right, guys, and we are back. This time we are with another special guest. Uh, actually, I believe this is the, the second doctor that we have on, and actually the, the second doctor within a recent time span, which is pretty cool, um, especially after not having any on before. But this is Dr. Sean Pastouche. Uh, Sean is the owner and founder of Active Life RX. Um, he's also got a really interesting story if you follow kind of where he's came from and where he's got into the fitness industry. But to start off, obviously, welcome to the show, Sean. But one thing I wanted to do to start off with is I want to kind of do the same thing you do with your podcast and just say, is there anything exciting that you want to talk about beforehand? That's something that's getting you going where you just want to spill the beans on that right away. Uh, I don't need to spill the beans on it right away. We can, there's all kinds of stuff that I'm excited to talk about. And if it comes up naturally in the course of conversation, I'm happy to discuss it. The thing that I'm most uh, jazzed up about right now is helping gym owners 
support their coach's journey to professionalization so that their coaches can work in their gyms for 25, 30 years as a career, not need to bartend at night, not need to work construction, not need to do a second job just so that they can maintain their hobby as a fitness professional. I want to help, I want to help professionals gain careers and I want to help gym owners gain the financial freedom to support them to do it. Yeah. I think that's like an, an admirable goal. Obviously one that I would love to support myself as being someone that works in the, in the CrossFit industry as a coach full time, um, but also nutrition coach as well. So I wanted to talk kind of about, you know, briefly your history, how you got to that, that being your goal with active life, right? Because like you first started as a guy that was, you know, you were, you were into chiropractic, you started as a personal trainer. So let's like unpack that as best we can, because you're helping people become the person that you once were as a personal trainer, correct? Better, but much better. Yeah. So yeah. where do we, where do we get there? So, so, so we can, I can give you kind of the, the, the wind up from the beginning. I grew up as the fortunate son of a chiropractor and a housewife. My mother run, ran a day camp. My father was a chiropractor. Everyone did well. And I had a great childhood. So when I got to college, I was like, what do I want to study? I don't know. I guess, I guess I'll study exercise physiology because I can learn all the chiropractic stuff from my dad if I ever want to do that. And I heard that personal trainers can make like $50,000 a year. And that sounds awesome. Um, that's, there's your high school mind. So I get into that and essentially graduate school, get a job at the worst gym I can possibly find. So nobody would ever find me. And I started training people there, changing the weights on selectorized equipment, wiping down the mirrors, selling memberships, selling training sessions, you know, everything from selling a gym bag out of the front of the gym to executing personal training sessions. I did. Um, then one day I was asked to sell a bag of steroids from underneath the front desk and I didn't know it was a bag of steroids and it made me really uncomfortable after the fact. So I left that gym and I got a job working for Equinox, which is where I really learned the business side of personal training. And I got frustrated because they had a physical therapy suite and I was the guy who was always looking for the clients who were in pain, who felt like the misfits in the gym, if you will because everyone else wanted to train the hot chick and the jack dude. I'm like, I don't feel like competing with all the trainers for the clients. I'm going to go where no one's looking. And I got all the clients who, you know, had one of my clients had ALS. One of my clients had frozen shoulder. One of my clients was scared to death to be in the gym. He had never worked out before. He's in his sixties. So this is the kind of client load that I had. I became known as the guy who could help those people. And I filled my book of business fast. Like it takes the average trainer at an Equinox about six and a half months to get to be full-time. It took me five weeks and I didn't know what I was doing. So then I would start to go up to the physical therapy suite where they, they could give me advice about how to help my clients better because they had all these limitations. And all they would tell me is what not to do. Don't do this. Don't do that. If it hurts, don't do it. Don't do this. Don't do that. Like, what, the, what the fuck? This sucks. So I decided to go to chiropractic school like my dad. And once I got out, I was the smartest person in the world. Like all you had to do is ask me. I would tell you how smart <laughs> I was. The problem is I wasn't actually that smart. I, I ended up opening my own CrossFit gym, my own chiropractic clinic inside the gym. And long story short, I'll get you to the end here. Um, 
trashed some friendships, trashed some business partnerships, all because I didn't understand how to manage myself really well. And because I didn't know how to manage myself, I certainly didn't know how to lead other people. And towards the end, it had gotten to a point where my gym was doing just fine. It just wasn't a gym that inspired me. It wasn't doing things the way I wanted to do things because I, I hired staff who were really good at what they did. And I kind of needed to let them run with it because I didn't, I didn't want to own the gym. I didn't want to manage the gym. I knew what it took to be a great gym owner and I didn't have it. Um, so I wanted to let my, own, my, my coaching staff run it and however they saw fit. So eventually I sold it and continued to help clients online because along the way, we had patients who were flying and we had a patient flying from Finland, from Reno, Nevada, from Australia, from Barbados, from Grand Cayman. I mean, people were flying in for treatments at my clinic with myself and my partner, and then they would have to leave. So of course we were helping them from a distance and that became kind of something we were doing really, really, really well. And companies like Brute Strength started to take notice. And they sent us Jared Stevens as a client, Brendan Fjord as a client, Brooke Entz as a client. And that just snowballed. And we were like, you know, we got to capitalize on this. And so in 2018, I got rid of my clinic. I got rid of my gym, sold them to my partner and launched this thing online into a, a level that we were never at before. Yeah, I think that's one of the cool things that I like. I went in 2018 when I kind of first caught wind of you. I think I was listening actually, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you were on uh, Rich Froning's podcast, one of those, one, like one of the yeah. very first ones, and you were working with him. And that's kind of where I caught first wind of you and just following that, uh, that transgression with, with Active Life. And one of the cool things about it, like you said, is, is you kind of changed the industry in terms of like, you know, not having to go in, get your five minute or five or 15 minute adjustment and then turn around and come back again and three more times that week it was like you go home you get given homework from a coaching perspective though what's one thing that you mentioned you wanted you want to create coaches that are better than what you were when you first started at equinox in that area if you could look back on that earlier version of yourself what's the thing where you're like oh man i can't believe i did that or this is this is the big thing that we have to improve upon you know, 21 year old Sean or whatever, however old you were there. Oh God, that's a laundry list. Uh, I was, I was on Rich Froning's podcast cause he was, a, he was a client. He was trying to get from games to games where his knee was like bad. <laughs> so we were trying to hold them together and we did. It was good. Um, the biggest thing that, that old Sean needed to know was the value of what he was able to do. I had no idea. So I didn't understand the, the magnitude of the impact that I could have with the limited knowledge that I had at the time. And so now what we're doing with Active Life is teaching coaches how to have an expansive knowledge set to solve very specific problems for people. And then we teach them how to understand and communicate the value that that knowledge has. So for example, if if you were trying to sell a personal training session in the gym, let's say you're a coach in a gym, and you said you are, right, Eric? You're a coach yeah. in a CrossFit gym? Yep. Okay. Every CrossFit gym wants their coaches to sell, let me not say every, most CrossFit gyms wants their coaches to sell more personal training sessions, right? Yep. Okay. So what does a training session cost in a regular gym? Uh, anywhere from between $70 and $100. 
good. At least we're in the right ballpark for sessions should cost. In a lot of places, they're like 50. So a session is 70 to $100. And how many sessions does somebody buy? Varies between person, right? Like it could be, it could be one, but I mean, most people I would say between three and five is, is the standard what people try to sell it for. Right. right. And, and, and that's because people are scared. Yep. People are afraid they can't sell anything more than three or five because 350 bucks is a lot of money. 500 bucks is a lot of money. I'm not going to sell this person 24 and ask them for 2000. What are you crazy? Well, here's the problem. If somebody has a $2,000 problem and you can't solve it with $500 worth of service, then you were selfish for taking $500 and not charging 2000. And what I mean by that is let's say that somebody really does need 24 sessions with you. And those sessions are going to be done three days a week for eight weeks. Now that's, yeah, that's the right math. If you let that person buy five sessions, teach them some skills and send them on their way because it's more affordable for them and they don't get their results, you're complicit in their failure because you wanted to make it easy on yourself and not have to ask for money that made you uncomfortable to ask for. So instead, you provided a subpar service that didn't solve the problem and the client's not happy. Training was expensive instead of valuable. And it just downward spirals from there. Yeah. And that's, and one of the questions I kind of had around that was, you know, and it applies both to the coaching aspect of things, but also the other side of the, in the athlete or the, or the client, if you will. Um, and that's the idea of like self-limiting beliefs, right? So when, when you look back on that version of yourself, was it the idea that you like, did you not even know that that was possible to be selling more? Oh, dude, I would, were you yeah, just, I would limited. Like, were you like, I can't do that. There's no way people will. All of the above. Yeah. I started off selling six packs to my clients because six packs was like, it's only this much money. I think it was like, what, six at 75 bucks for like the level of trainer I was at six to 80 bucks. It was like 480 bucks. Now those, they don't even sell six packs anymore. It's one, 12, 24, 48 at Equinox. I don't even know if they sell, whatever it is. They don't sell sixes anymore because it's a scared sale. You're not solving problems in six sessions and you're not solving them in one. So they punish you for buying one at a time. It's way too expensive to buy one at a time. I mean, 120 bucks for a single session and you know that's not solving anything. And I'm not saying that that's too expensive, by the way. I have trainers I work with who we get them to charge 150. Mm -hmm. um, but the point is, I was looking at it from the monetary perspective instead of the size of the problem, the scope of the problem, the need for the solution, what that solution was going to cost me in terms of time, effort, energy. And I was just like, oh, well, that's expensive. So buy this one instead. And then by the time I was done working there, the second time around, because I ended up going to chiropractic school and then going back and working there during my internship, I was telling people that they had to buy 24 packs or I wasn't going to take them as a client. And when they went on vacation, they had to pay for a session for every week that they were gone just to reserve their time slot. Or I was going to fill it with somebody else and give them a different time slot when they got back. Yeah, that's a, it's, it's an interesting uh, way of looking at it. And I definitely agree with you because as, as a coach, you know, I, you often, I don't know if I heard this from you or I heard from someone else. You often sell with your wallet in mind, right? And, and you sell with 
because as you mentioned, coaches aren't professionalized and making the money they need to. They're selling on a wage that, you know, $350 to someone making 40,000 or less a year is a, a substantial amount of money, especially if they have other expenses. It's only, it's only a substantial amount of money if it doesn't return emotional value for the client. So exactly. here's, here's what I mean by that. If you're selling better snatches, better cleans, better burpees and cleaner muscle ups, what's that worth to somebody? Like if you ask the average member in a CrossFit gym, hey, you don't have a muscle up today. You could have one in 12 weeks. It's gonna cost you a thousand dollars. Would you pay for it? Most people can be like, fuck off, bro. No, like you're out of your mind. You know, even if it was a guarantee, snap your fingers, you're getting a muscle up in 12 weeks. They're not doing it. It's an inexpensive problem. And this is why all of these companies, all these companies, I don't actually know what any of these companies are doing on a day-to-day -day basis. So I shouldn't say that. This is why trainers and gyms who are being told to sell more training sessions and not being told why aren't being told or excuse me, how are not being told how, because no one has figured out how to sell snatches and muscle ups for a thousand dollars because they're not worth a thousand dollars. But there are members who are in your CrossFit gym who feel like a burden on the coach because they are dealing with the same modifications for the last six months. Their shoulder hurts every time they go overhead. They make their decision about whether they're going to come to the gym or not based on the workout that's on the board. They decide if they know how to modify that without asking the coach. If there's two things they would need to modify, they're like, oh man, I really don't want to put that on coach. I'm just not going to come today. Those people would happily pay $1,000 so that in three months, they didn't have to have this issue anymore. Totally different problem. Yep. Way bigger solution. So let's back up a second here and talk about from the client or the athlete's perspective. Because I know you mentioned when you started working at Equinox, you didn't choose, you know, the big buff dudes and the ones that were, you know, like you didn't choose Rich Fronian from day one. You chose the people that were, for lack of a better word, broken. When you, tr when you work with that kind of a population, there's, it's very easy to see that, again, they have self-limiting beliefs in terms of like they identify with their injury. I have a bad back. I have a bad knee over and over and over again. And every time, like you said, those movements come up, it's like, I don't want to be in the gym or I shouldn't do, shouldn't do it here or I shouldn't push it, all these kinds of things. How do you get over those self-limiting beliefs and stop identifying with injuries? I'm the guy with the bad back or whatever it happens to be. Yeah, well, first of all, don't, don't kid yourself. The Rich Fronings, Jacob Hebner's, James Newberry's, Lindy Barber's, you know, you go down the list. We've worked with 40 CrossFit Games athletes at this point. They have those same doubts. It's just about what they do with their doubts. And the person who's in the gym, who's like, oh, you know what? I, I have a bad knee. I just got, I got to row instead of running. How do you help them? By asking them a simple question like, hey, if it was possible for you to run again, would you want to? Yeah, I, I, I mean, yeah, I would, I would want to. I hate running, but I would like to be able to run without pain. Okay. Have you exhausted all of the possibilities that you could do that? Oh, yeah, I think so. I mean, I went to the doctor. A physical therapist said I just got to deal with it. You know, orthopedist said I'm just getting old. Okay. There are other people in this gym who are your age, yeah? Yes. Do all of them need to row? No. Then it's possible it's not your age, right? 
Yeah, I mean, I guess. And you start breaking down these these bullshit stories that they told themselves. Mm-hmm. That guy has arthritis too. He he doesn't he doesn't need to row. He runs. So it might not be your age or your arthritis. And and that guy also does shift work. So it it also might not be your sleep patterns. So all of these things that you've been told that you just believe that you tell yourself now, we've pointed out a variety of different examples of where that's not true for somebody else and you've made it your story. So if it was possible for this to not be the case anymore, would it be worth it for you to pursue that opportunity? Yeah, I guess it would. Okay. How about if we do an assessment? Absolutely free to determine if you're a good fit for me to help. If you're not a good fit for me to help, I'm not going to take you as a client because I'm not going to let you waste your money. If you are a good fit, I'm going to try every trick I have in the book to sell you because you need to buy because I can help you. Is that fair? Yeah, no, I definitely think that's fair. And that's like, that's something that, you know, on the mental side of things like that's, it is a story you tell yourself, right? It is something that you've ingrained over and over and over again. And it's probably just with movement, it's other aspects of life. And that was one of the questions I think I had, and I heard you talking about it on your podcast was the idea of self-affirmations and self-talk. How do you, how do you work on that with clients, both as coaches and as, and as clients who are working on movement? Cause I'm sure, you know, you mentioned the, the 40 athletes that you worked with, they have that kind of talk too. How do you not feel like the guy where, you know, you're, you're telling Rich Froney, Hey Rich, this is how you should think, right? Like, how do you get around that? You go straight through it. So to start, I mean, let me, let me backtrack. It depends on who you're working with. I had never talked to Rich the way I would talk to Lindy. You know, I, don't, I didn't talk to Rich the way I would talk to Jacob Hepner. They're different people and they need to be talked to in different ways. Mm. So the way that you talk to them depends on how they want to be spoken to. And their motive, you have to start with their motivation. You know, what, why do you feel like you need to do that today? What if that wasn't true? What if it was actually the opposite of that? Have you ever considered that? You know, and, and you can get through to people when you show them the, the glimmer of possibility that what they're thinking is not true. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on that. When it comes to those bigger athletes, what are some of the things you, you took away from learning from, from them? Did, did you go into it thinking that they would be, you know, these confident people that don't have self-limiting beliefs like that? Or what were your biggest takeaways, in this, at least initially? Uh, I didn't really know what to expect. And, and um, in the beginning, I was going after them. And in the end, they were coming to us. You know, Rich came to us as a recommendation from Lindy Barber, who came to us as a recommendation from Jeremy Kinnick, who came to us from our Instagram. You know, so I didn't go out and get those people. They came to us. The thing that I, I learned from working with these athletes most was that the way that I like to communicate, the way that I like to be communicated with is ineffective for most people. Most people do not want to be spoken to the way that I want to be spoken to. So what happens is I can be like, oh, well, if I was, if I was competing, and I was sticking my head up my ass, 
I would want someone to come over and be like, yo, get your fucking head out of your ass. You're being a little bitch right now. You need to push through this. Or, hey, you're an idiot. Go sit down and take a break. You're working too hard. That's, that's what drives me. That's how I'm connected to. That is not, apparently, how everybody is connected to. So I had to learn to really tailor my communication style to make it um, comfortable for people to communicate with me. Yeah. Were there any like bad, bad, really bad, like learning examples along the way where you? Yes. So I won't, I won't mention the athlete. I'll just tell you that you all know who this athlete is. Um, I didn't agree with some of the decisions that this, this athlete was making. And I was getting impatient with this athletes to make better decisions. Uh, this athletes, you know, I was impatient that this athlete was taking too long to start making what I deemed to be better decisions. And I just got really short. And I was like, look, do you want to win or not? And that was literally the last coaching conversation we ever had. How would you, it shouldn't have been. How would you have gone about it differently? Um, honestly, in the, in the position that I'm in right now, I wasn't... I wasn't local, so I, I didn't know the athlete as well as I thought I did. I would have hopped on a plane and flown out to where this person was and sat down with them and gotten to know them and just been like, look, I'm here to support you, whatever it is that you want to do. I just need you to know that this is the way that I think you should do it. And if yeah. they chose to go a different direction, then support them where they're at instead of forcing them to where I was. Yeah, it, it just gives you a lot of more avenues to go off of rather than just giving it a one-way direction and take it or leave it and get the hell out kind of thing. So I definitely, yeah, was, I definitely agree with you there. And, and, and I thought I was doing what she wanted. I just, I was wrong. So one of the things you hinted on in that previous answer before was, you know, that you, you don't like, you don't necessarily love the golden rule. <laughs> and, and that like, I was someone that was raised in a Catholic school taught that the golden rule you know treat others the way you want to be treated is the way you live life and I think you're the first person I heard that was kind of like anti-golden rule and I, I now that I I've learned that way of thinking and and heard it I actually agree with it like it's you don't you don't really think about that and you just hear it kind of shoved down your throat so unpack a little bit why you don't agree with the golden rule of treating others the way you want to be treated yeah, so for people who don't know what Eric is talking about in terms of my history, I've, I, I'm adamant that you should never treat people the way you want to be treated because they don't want to be treated how you do. You need to treat people how they want to be treated. And the most common question after that is, well, how do I know how someone wants to be treated? You fucking work for it. You ask. You're patient. You take your time to learn. You, you make mental or even physical notes about the things that you said that got them excited and the things that you said that pissed them off. And if you ever piss somebody off, you apologize. You ask why they got pissed off and you explain what your intent was. Hey, you know, Eric, I'm, I'm, I apologize. I realized that what I said to you upset you and I would never do that on purpose. Um, these, these are my intentions. How did that come across to you? Oh, okay. I'm really sorry about that. That was absolutely not the way I was looking to, to have you feel about that. 
And I have done that with good friends of mine, where I had a friend of mine who's a really close friend of mine who um, I made fun of him in a text message thread with a bunch of my friends. And he like called me up and was upset, like literally crying that I hurt his feelings so bad. And I was like, dude, I'm so sorry. I had no, no intention of making you feel that way. And I feel terrible for doing it. And I hope that you can accept my apology. I, I was out of line. And it was all meant in good fun. Like I thought he would laugh and enjoy it. So it happens, but you have to be contrite enough to be able to say, look, I screwed that up. I'm sorry. Yeah, and I think that kind of connects with the, one of the other things that I, I wrote down when I like I literally had to pull over my car while listening to your podcast one time, and you were talking about business development and kind of how you've grown with an active life, and you said if you I think it was your mentor who told you if you want to be better at business you have to become a better person. Yeah, that was like a ton of bricks. Yeah, unpack that lesson for me and how you kind of like how you took that ton of bricks. Uh, on the chin, so the. When I, okay. At the time I was making just over like $30,000 a year, maybe under, it, it wasn't, it was like a difficult amount of money to live with in the state of New York, downstate New York by, you know, in Long Beach, New York by the city. And um, it was a situation where I, I wasn't feeling like the man of the house. I'm a doctor. I own a gym. I've been a trainer now for like 10 years at the time or 11 years, whatever it was at the time. And here I am unable to make ends meet. You know, I'm counting on my wife to make money every day so that we can continue to live. And it, it was emasculating. It was embarrassing. I didn't tell anybody, you know, it was, it was just, it was a really shitty time. So we hired this coach and I was in a place where I'm like, all right, well, this guy's going to teach me how to get a lead, how to sell somebody, how to make more money. And the first thing he tells me is you got to be a better person. I'm like, what do you mean? I'm great. <laughs> Just ask me. I'll tell you I'm great. And, you know, we didn't talk business for like the first three months. The only thing about business that we talked was where, um, where he essentially told me that I was a liar. I was lying to myself. I was lying to my family. I was lying to my friends. I was lying to my members because I said, when he asked, why'd you open the gym? Why'd you open the clinic? I said, to help people. He's like, no, he didn't. Like, what do you mean? He's like, you could go to the park and help people for free. Why'd you open the, why'd you open the clinic? Why'd you open the gym? Why are you charging? Like, well, I have to make money. It's like, yeah, you open a business to make money. The reason why you opened this business is because it's the only thing you're willing to do to make money. And for me, that was like, oh shit. Yeah. Okay. It's okay for me to make money. I had a really bad mindset around money. And because of that, I was resentful of people who had it. I was, I was always like, that person got lucky. That person like had the connections. That person knew somebody like, oh, they got in the game early. And there was a great reason for everyone who was more successful than me. And they were all wrong. They were all right and they were all wrong. But it was, okay, that person has connections. Lucky them. Instead of that person has connections, how do I get connections? That person got in the game early. How do I change the game? All of those questions never answered, never entered my mind. And it was because I was so closed off to me being the problem 
that I couldn't possibly see how I could be the solution. And once I, once I understood that like, okay, dude, it's you <laughs> get it or don't get it. That was it. Yeah. And I think that's like, that's something that like a lot of people need to, to come to grips with is that I, I think I, I heard it from someone else again. I think that like, you know, everything that happens in your life, you're responsible for good or bad, right? Like you have to take responsibility for what's going on in your life. Um, how did you, how did you change that over the, over the past years? Cause I think one of the things that's interesting about kind of your career path is that with active life, you know, you started out by, you know, helping people with movement. Right. And now you're kind of, you've, it's not that your active life has taken a step back away from that. And you probably still have clients that you're working with one-on-one -on -one that you help through movement, but now you're taking on kind of a higher up approach, if you will, where you're, you're teaching the teachers, if you will, yeah. right? you're starting to make the movement bigger. Yes. So <clears throat> it's funny you asked that. Cause it was one of those things where I'm like, I don't really think coaches can do what we're doing, man. Like we're doctors. It's, it's just hard. Like it's not easy for people to, to learn this. And I was like, get the fuck out of your own way. Who do you think you are? You're so good. And then what ends up happening is clients started to get good and their coaches would be like, Hey, what'd you do with my client? And you'd explain like, Oh, cool. So more of this, less of that. Got it. I understand why. Thank you. Hmm. But they weren't, they weren't able to do the job still. So they would start asking for more, more formal education, education, education. So we started not only helping the clients, but now we started teaching the coaches how to solve these problems at workshops. Okay. Now coaches come to a workshop, they're like, cool, I get how to solve that problem, but now it creates this next problem. I don't know how to assess, how do I correct? I'm like, well, all right, we'll build that solution out. So we built out that here's how you make corrections for your client solution, which we call our immersion program. It's online. It's 13 weeks long. Take it from anywhere. Then we saw that that program was um, not making people money. So they were, they were paying for it and they were getting it. And then it was like, oh, well, now what? Oh, that was cool. Like, thanks. That was nice. I'm like, this is not going to catch on. People are not going to get the outcomes if we don't teach them how to use this course to build the business for themselves. So we added like six hours of business development for coaches to the immersion course and to the point that we can now guarantee a coach who takes that course and does what we tell them to do will make their money back before the course is even over. Then what happens is we run into the problem where coaches are like, okay, uh, good news. I'm full and I want to grow more and I don't know how to grow more. I mean, we have the coaches who've gone from in one example in particular, this woman made $350 the first two weeks in January, took our course starting in January and the first two weeks in June, she made just under 4,000. It's a pretty good return. Yep. Um, she's going to clear, she'll probably clear $100,000 in the 12 months between like May and May as a coach in somebody else's gym, working less than 25 hours a week. Pretty cool. Yeah. So then it became like, okay, well, I have one coach doing that. And now it's like almost even a little bit disruptive to my gym because that coach is not available for classes and the gym is making money, but I need a coach to coach my classes now. What do I do? So we built out what we call the professional path, which is how business owners can start to actually support their coaches in a way that allows their coaches to professionalize, 
and allows the gym to grow, solving the problems that are more high value problems. Like I have back pain and training is getting in the way of life now. So I have to stop. Well, so on that side of things, uh, one, one question I had that was interesting is, and you've been in this industry a long time working with CrossFitters, you know, specifically is, you know, from, if we go all the way back to like, say 2000 and 2007, 2006, the movement quality at that time, I think we can both agree was not what it is standard. Most gyms today, right? Most movement quality, even any Thor's daughters muscle up looked a lot worse than what you'll see in most gyms today. If we're doing, if we were programming muscle ups, mm-hmm. but is there, is there different injuries you're seeing along that course of, of CrossFit's history? And if so, on that approach with working with gyms, do you get guys to, do you get gyms to program less of traditional CrossFit and different things that should be approached that way? And why? So CrossFit as a methodology is not the problem. It's the way that people apply the methodology in their business that ends up being the problem. Explain if Greg, Gla- I, 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 you know, what's that? Explain that. So I, I've never met Greg Glassman and I'm not going to speak for him. I imagine if he walked into 10 affiliates, he'd be appalled at a given percentage of them, call it 30%, 40%. And it's because they're all, and I think he, I think this is why they might've made the pivot to be more about helping people with, you know, chronic disease than, than associating with the CrossFit games because their affiliates were unable to discern their role in in the bigger mission. And so we don't see different problems as, as the, as the this CrossFit game has evolved because frankly, we haven't been a lot around long enough to see the progressions from like 2009. Um, and I don't know that they exist a difference that is what we do with gyms is we teach them how to audit their own programming so that they're not doing the same thing over and over and over again without realizing it. And what I mean by that is if I ask most gym owners, how often do you guys squat? Oh, once a week. Okay, cool. How often do you guys do squat cleans? Not like once a week. How often do you guys do lunges? Maybe like once a week. How often are you squatting? Uh, maybe, I mean, uh, rowing, maybe like once a week. What about box jumps? Maybe like once a week. Wall balls. And you, you, what's that? Wall balls. Wall balls, right. You start to add all that stuff up and so you're squatting every day. And that's just one thing that we do. And then the other thing is, you know, you start to look at, well, what about that member over there who's, who's deadlifting his squat, doing a, you know, a loaded good morning? What's his deal? Oh, his ankles are limited. Are they? How limited? Oh, gee, I don't know. He just says they're always stiff. Okay. They might be stiff because he's pushing the end ranges. Let's put him up against the wall and see what his range of motion is. No, his ankles are full. So why is he hinging? I don't know. Let's give him some squat therapy, put him against the wall. Okay. Yeah, he did that for a month. Didn't work. What's the issue? Don't know. We teach gym owners how to solve that problem so that that member doesn't have to do any more good mornings when they're supposed to be squatting. Because now what happens is every time that they're supposed to squat, they're doing a deadlift. And every time that they're supposed to deadlift, they're going to deadlift. So they're going to end up with very deficient squat patterns and all kinds of issues. So we teach gym owners how to better audit their own programming. The big picture that we're looking to do 
is to teach gyms how to help the client who is underserved right now. The person who is looking to avoid the aches, the pains, the feeling like a burden when they go to the gym and get in shape at the same time so that they're not dealing with someone who's ripping their shirt off mid-workout and clanging and banging because it's not their target demo. Someone else can already help with that person. Yeah, it's interesting. Do you find, do you find certain patterns within, within CrossFit programming that like besides the squats, uh, like besides over squatting that you see in either online programming or just in, in most gyms that you work with? Yeah, absolutely. But, but it's not, um, it's not a common thread through all of them. One of the biggest problems that we see when it comes to program design is someone comes and tells you, for example, I'm not good at muscle ups. How do I get better at muscle ups? Got to do more of them. Just got to do them all the time. You know, get, get, get weighted pull-ups, you know, uh, start weighting your dips, like do all these things heavier, harder, more. It's like, no, that's, that's fucking backwards. That's not what they need. And so we do the one common thread that we do see is a lot of downward pulling and downward pressing because pull-ups, muscle-ups, dips, push-ups, burpees, all of those are pulling your shoulder down. Even if it's a press, they're bringing the shoulder blade down where all the movements that go up overhead are done with assistance from the hips, from the knees, from the ankles. They're, they're throwing and catching, if that makes sense. So we see a predominance of strength and the ability to move the shoulder blade down versus up, which often leads to a functional impingement. Yeah. And one of the things I, and I wanted you to kind of talk about that study that you guys did, um, you know, you, sometimes you mentioned that you, to get better at something, you have to do sometimes less of it and do something else. Right. And mm-hmm. I think the study you ran was squats and box step ups. So tell me a little bit about that idea. Yeah. So we didn't do that. That was a gym who we put through our immersion course. So there's a gym in Washington, DC. I'll give them the credit that they deserve. It's called PR star CrossFit. You might want to have the the owner Ryan cage and the coach Bobby Wheeler on your show and talk to them about the the study they did. Um, The study that they did was, was anecdotal. For sure. I mean, they they measured, but it wasn't like it was a controlled scientific study. But what happened was they, took the gym and they segmented it. Half the gym did squats for eight weeks. The other half of the gym did step-ups and they measured before they started their squat max. And then they measured after they were done. And the group who did the squat program improved by something like 3%. And the group who did the step-up program improved by like 9%. So it was a 300% return on step-ups as compared to squats for squat strength. And I posted their study because it was cool. And it was as if like the world came to an end. And I mean, for <laughs> me, that's, that's awesome. That's fuel the fire because it means that people are identifying with the methodology, which is not even serving them. Um, but it wasn't, I wasn't suggesting that step-ups are better for you to improve squat strength and squatting. I was suggesting that when a population is overdosed with a given movement, taking some of that away is good. Yeah. And I think that like it, the study more or less, it also just causes you to challenge the status quo, start to think about things a little bit differently, right? That, that, you know, most people, if you wouldn't have thought of that, wouldn't have thought of one of the, now that we're kind of getting on to the, the last little bit of this one, I have some more like personality style questions that I kind of wanted you to talk about. And 
one of them I think I know I know your answer because I've heard it before, but I wanted you to kind of expand upon it, if you will. And if if you could sit down with someone dead or alive and learn kind of about what they do or what why they did what they did and learn from them, who would it be and why why would you choose that person? Yeah, so there's two people who always come to mind when I get asked this question, and they are on like opposite ends of the spectrum. One of them is Martin Luther King. And the reason I say him is because I want you to try to imagine today getting a million people to a single location with less than a month's notice, with no email, no cell phones, and no TV commercials. Good luck. It's crazy. Yeah, no, no Facebook, no Instagram. Like, just spread the word. Your message has to be so powerful and compelling and relatable and promising and, and seemingly achievable to get people to do that and communicate it extremely well. So he's one. And the other one is Adolf Hitler. And usually when I say that, people are like, what is wrong with you? Well, it's not that I identify with what he did, you know, as, as a Jewish New Yorker who would have been fucking guessed, I clearly am not a fan. <laughs> what I'm interested in though, is how he got an entire country to believe like he did and, and to get them to move to do something so disgusting and so radical without them even thinking twice about it. And what I would love to know is, you know, can you harness that power for good? How would you do it? Yeah, I think those are like, that's, I think Andy Priscilla, I want to say, is the other person that I heard say Adolf Hitler. And, and like you said, like most people balk at that. Like th that'll get your eyes to widen right away when you hear that name as it. But it's a good explanation as why you would want to learn from someone like that. Because you're right, he he was so fanatical that he got so many people to follow him um, and without rational reason, right? Two other questions that I have. First one being, um, I, I founded what I started calling my, my company, the Refocus Nutrition uh, Company, because I wanted people to focus and refocus their aspects of their lives within nutrition, within fitness, on things that just weren't fads. Like you weren't going from keto, then paleo, then vegan the next week, and refocus on something that like, works for them in the long term if there's one thing and if you can nail it down to one thing it could be more than one thing that you think people should refocus their lives on within fitness in nutri could be nutrition could but within fitness what is one thing you would say people should be trying to refocus their efforts on they should be asking themselves what they want their fitness to get them and if they're moving closer or further from it how do you break that down after you ask that question let's take somebody who should be in a CrossFit gym first and then somebody who shouldn't. Cool. Yeah. The person who should be in a CrossFit gym, why'd you join the gym? Well, I wanted to get into great shape. I enjoy competing a little bit, uh, even if it's just with myself and I want to get really, really strong. I want to get shredded and I want to have fun while I do it and do something that I can continue to come to because it's fun when I come. Okay, cool. So, and then you try to push back. So is it possible that you could have more fun doing something else that's not CrossFit? I mean, I guess it's possible, but I really enjoy coming to class. My friends come to class. My body feels great. My abs have never looked better. You know, like uh, it's really working well. 
okay, do you think you'd get stronger if you just focused on powerlifting? Well, maybe, but I don't want to get good at powerlifting. I want to be strong everywhere. I want to feel like I'm a, you know, a really good generalist and whatever. You keep on going down the list. It's like, cool. You're in the perfect place. You should be doing CrossFit and exactly where you're doing CrossFit because it sounds like it's working. Then there's the person who shouldn't be or at least not where they're doing it. Hey, why'd you join the gym? You know, my, my kid is like five years old and they run around all the time and I get tired before they do and I want to keep being able to play with them. But now my freaking knees are killing me. My back hurts. Okay, cool. So are you able to play with your kid more? No, it's like, it's less. I can't even get down on the ground to pick my kid up. My back hurts. My knees hurt. It's creaky. I get out of bed in the morning. Everything hurts. Okay. So how long have you been doing this for? Two years. How have you been consistent? Yeah, I've been coming four days a week for two years. Okay. If it's not getting you closer to your goal, is it possible that it's getting you further from your goal and there's another way for you to do it? Yeah. Now I'm not telling you stop doing CrossFit, but maybe try a different CrossFit gym who identifies better with your goals. You know, if they're doing part A, part B, and then part A, there's halting snatches. And you're like, what's a halting snatch? You know, or what's a snitch? <laughs> you might be in the wrong gym. If you don't care to be able to move a bar from the ground to overhead, catch it in a squat position because, you know, accuracy, coordination, as Greg Glassman sees it, can shove off and look for a gym that's not going to put you in that position. And if you really enjoy CrossFit, look for a CrossFit gym that's not going to put you in that position. There are plenty of them doing a great job for you. Yeah. And the gym that you're in might be great for the first person that we talked about. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great answer. The last question I had, and I think I'm stealing this one from Gary Vee. It seems like I steal a lot of questions from people, but they're all really good ones. And I want to, I want to expand upon them too. And good, good artists create great artists steal. <laughs> exactly. We'll keep telling ourselves that anyways. Um, so when it comes to this question, imagine yourself as already deceased. You've died. You can somehow see over though your funeral and you can see what the people that are coming, the people and what they're saying. What do you want people to be saying about you at your funeral? I want people to be telling the truth. That's really it. You know, like, I, I want people to know that I if, if I was able to help them, I did. And that I helped them the way that they needed to be helped. So it, it's, I guess people would generally be saying that when he could, he helped. When he couldn't, he helped by sending me to somebody else who could. And that everybody's life who came in contact with mine was better because they came in contact with mine. That, that, that's what I would hope the message would be. Yeah. I think that's an awesome message. Cause like you said, like it, it's, it's more than just saying, I want to leave the world better than when I left it. It's very specific in terms of like how you impacted those people that were around you. Well, I had a list of people that was, I think it was like 30 people long who I felt like I had done wrong. Mm-hmm. And I didn't feel like some of them were like, oh, I, I was nasty to my wife today. It, it happens, you know, but I made that list and I either spoke to each of them in person or called each of them and apologized. And I was specific about why I was apologizing and what I wanted them to understand and what my intentions were and how I know I missed on my intentions. And 
you know, I know that I'm not going to land for all of those people, but at least they know that I wanted to help. What did you get out of that besides getting um, probably a massive weight off your shoulders, I assume? I got a massive weight off my shoulders. That was important. And having that weight off my shoulders enabled me to move faster in everything else. Because, there, you know, like, once you can apologize to someone who you're like, no, that fucking guy, he did that to me. Like, I was done wrong here. Once you can make that apology to somebody and be like, I, without bringing up what they did wrong, you can swallow what you think they did wrong and start telling them the things that you could have done better without even saying, but, but knowing in the back of your head, and that's why you did me wrong because I didn't do these things better. If you can own that a hundred percent when a client emails, Hey, I'm really upset about like the service I'm getting. It's really easy to fix the problem. Yeah. Like you're hundred percent. Yeah. You just got to own it and explain where you're coming from. I a hundred percent agree with you. Thanks so much, Sean, for expanding upon like your knowledge base, but also where you want to go with, with active life, active life story. Um, tell everybody where we can find you, where we can find not only, you know, active life on Instagram, um, but yourself as well. Cause you have a, you have a good account yourself that we, people and coaches should be following to kind of learn some more. Thanks. So if you're looking, if you're someone who is a client in a CrossFit gym, you work out on a day-to-day -day basis, you're not a health professional. That's okay. Active life RX go there or follow me personally at Dr. Sean Pastuch. If you are a health professional and you want to take it to another level, follow us at active life professional. And if it's active life for X, it's active life for X.com. It's active life professional.com. It's, it's all those things line up. Yeah. And tell me, I guess, briefly just about that. Cause your your two words that are the biggest two words probably for fitness professionals out there is term pro term, term pro. That's it. So the, the thing for us is like, it doesn't matter if you're looking to get out of back pain, if you want to be smarter, if you want to make more money, if you want to uh, provide financial stability for your staff, if you want to be a better husband, you want to be a better wife, you want to be a better father, mother, sister, brother, friend, whatever, fucking turn pro. Treat it like it's your profession and watch what happens. Yeah, I, I totally agree. You got to be serious about where you want to go with what you want to do. And that's in every aspect and relationship of your life. Thanks again, Sean, so much for coming on. And uh, I can't wait to, to share this with everyone and also share, um, hopefully get you back on again another time in the future. I'd love to come on and talk about how to pay coaches and how to get your coaches making you money. <laughs> Thanks so much.